You see, at the end of the tribulation period, there is going to be this judgment of the nations where the sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. So there's two things here. You'll notice that the second one says, And the angel thrust in his sickle, in verse 19, and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So the believers are separated from the others. And the other ones are going to be put in this wine press, and they're killed. And the blood is going to flow. It didn't say grape juice is going to flow. I believe that in the last, he's going to pull all these people into this place, and God's going to fulfill his will. And to see a little bit of that, while you're right there in chapter 14, if you look across the page to chapter 16, and look there in verse 13, 14, and 15, and you'll see something that's good because it leads right up to verse 16 where there's a, an interesting word. Verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So there is the devil, the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet, the unholy trinity. And their ministry will go about three and a half years, kind of mocking somebody else that went into the place in Jerusalem and claimed that he was God. When Jesus did it, he was rejected and crucified. When this nut does it, all the world is, yay! They're all excited. They are lied to, deceived, and they all fall for it. But notice what he says in verse 14. And they are the spirit of devils, working miracles which go forth, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. This is what you see with the naked eye upon the earth, but what people can't see behind the scenes is that the Lord is allowing all this activity in the angelic world to accomplish His will. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation in chapter 17, for God hath put it into their hearts to fulfill His will. So God is working, and the devil is working. And um, he says in verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. When he says here is, I come as a thief. Remember, we talk about the thief in the night. A lot of times people put it over here, this is the thief in the night. No, no, no. Thief in the night's over here. It's not talking about the rapture. But anyway. He says, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now this is what they place called Megiddo. And there's a big plain up there. And it goes for miles. I was standing on the, the hill, they call it a tell, and I saw the ground open up and a plane goes shooting up out of the ground. And you, it's hard to believe that they've got defense all over the place. And uh, Israel doesn't have much time to respond to the enemy because it's such a narrow country. And like we said the other night, you can take about seven of them and put them in the state of Florida. So that's, uh, they're not a very big country. And it's so narrow that you can fly over the whole country in just a matter of a couple minutes. This is what's going to take place. Now go back there to chapter 14. So here he's talking about in verse 15, the harvest. There's the first fruit, the Jewish. 
And the harvest, the Gentiles. And so this, I believe, is a reference toward, at that period of time, the judgment of the nations. And this will follow right in line according to the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew when Jesus was here and according to what he had promised was going to take place. So the book of Revelation is laid out very well. And sometimes it say it's hard to understand the book of Revelation. Yeah, there's a few little places in it can gag you. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And no, I haven't got it all figured out. But I love studying it and looking at it. Now, the other thing I wanted you to see was this. It means that if there's going to be this harvest of Jewish evangelists, there has to be a soul winner. And if there's going to be a harvest of these Gentiles, and in chapter 7 it talks about that very well in all the nations of the earth, that multitudes are going to believe on the Lord. I used to always wonder, well, if, if I was God, I'd just, I'd just use an angel. Just let angels do it. I mean, what would you do if you went outside tomorrow and you looked up in the sky and there's this big old beautiful angel and he's preaching? Not just about anything, but he's preaching the gospel. If he was to preach the gospel, it would probably be the everlasting gospel. And if it was the everlasting gospel, it probably would be good news. And if it was good news... I mean, it would probably be salvation by grace. And if it's salvation by grace, do you think it'd be clear? Maybe God will let Hank come back and be that angel. I mean, we want somebody who really knows what they're doing to, to really be super clear. So look what he says here in Revelation in chapter 14. Look in verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, to everybody. Now, there wouldn't be any use in preaching the gospel to everybody if everybody can't be saved. So I believe that everybody can be saved. And yet you run into some problems, especially toward the end of the book of Revelation, so there's a good possibility that a lot of this preaching by this angel could be at the first part of the tribulation period where a lot of people will hear and understand and trust Christ as their Savior. Maybe that's where the 144,000 come from. I don't know. Good possibility. Maybe that's where multitudes of these Gentiles and all these nations upon the earth and all these various languages, everything. You read the 7th chapter and tie it in with the 14th chapter and it's talking about this same thing. And it says, uh, where did these come from? He says, sir, thou knowest. He says, these came out of the great tribulation and have washed and made their garments white in the blood of the Lamb. So they says that there were multitudes of every nation that believed in the Lord. So God is going to have his witness here, and there's going to be testimonies given and people are going to respond. And so there's going to be a reaching of the Jewish evangelist. And then the multitudes of the Gentiles. So here in this one little chapter, stuck in here between the midst of all of this stuff, is like a triumphant chapter that lets you see a little bit about how it's going to play out at the end. We are eventually, we're, we're going to be out here in this kingdom. In this wonderful, wonderful place. 
And as he looks out a little bit into the future, he says, And I saw a lamb stand up on Mount Zion. And I saw all of this. And I saw the 144,000. And they were all singing. And then all these here that are going to be redeemed. And they're going to be there. Because he says, when the judgment of the nations takes place, those that are on the right hand are the sheep. He says, enter thou into the kingdom upon the earth. So this is how God is going to deal with those people during this period of time. There's going to be Jews and Gentiles that will be saved. They're not part of the church. They will go into the millennial reign upon this earth. Now we know when the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what they're going to do. And an angel is going to be preaching the everlasting gospel. Now I believe that if he preaches the everlasting gospel, and he's talking about being redeemed, the only way a man can be redeemed is understanding that a payment was made for their sins. So I believe that the gospel is the same gospel that we preach. Now he did make a statement in the book of Matthew where he says, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the kingdom of heaven is a title that's used exclusively, well not exclusively, but mainly in the book of Matthew which deals with Christ as the king of Israel. And it shows him drawing up his cabinet and then his constitution of how he's going to rule with a rod of iron during this period of time. So the king is coming to set up his, his kingdom. And you and I are going to be able to rule and to reign with him. The gospel is going to be preached. And multitudes are going to be saved and go into the kingdom. So they are redeemed. Now look what I want you to see this. Look there in verse 7 and he says saying with a loud voice fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and you can't really fear the Lord and have a holy reverential respect for God unless you know who he is and what he can do and maybe they'll be here to see what he is doing. And when he makes the statement and give glory to him and then it says, and worship him. God says, God is a spirit and must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. So they'll have to know the truth. It's not just talking about some, you know, scatterbrained person that doesn't understand what's going on. This is not talking about worshiping some false God or any God that they have. This is talking about the true and living God and people knowing who he is and what he has done and putting their complete confidence and trust in him. Now, during this period of time, there's something else going to be going on pretty bad. Look there in verse 8. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So I believe that there's a good possibility this Babylon, it might be Jerusalem, because it will be the center of the political ruling power upon this earth. And the head will be in Jerusalem, and he will have power from all nations given to him, and therefore they will rule. That is going to take place at the end of the tribulation period, and the city will fall. But there's something that's mentioned here that lets you know. 
or right before this harvest takes place. See, verse 9 down to verse 12 is written before 13 and down to verse 19. This is deep stuff, you know, to know that those verses were written first before the other verses. And he says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image. Now up in verse 7, it's talking about those that are worshiping the Lord. So there's an angel preaching and also, I believe, warning and letting the people around the world know. Worship God. Be faithful even unto death. And that's why he says in another scripture, uh, this is the faith and the patience of the saints. Oh, skip that in verse 12. It's right there. Here is the patience of the saints. So the word saints shows you that they are believers during this period of time, during the last part of the tribulation period, when they have to receive the mark of the beast or worship the beast or the number of his name and this is this last world government. And so it will demand you worship this last government. Now, how do you worship a government? Well, when it becomes your God. And you fear that God. And you will worship and obey whatever that God tells you to do. So in verse 9, he says, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So those people during this period of time if they do receive the mark, or the name, or the number, are going to be in a heap of trouble, boy. Now, I don't know. Some people say, well, can a Christian receive the mark of the beast? Well, it says here that anyone who receives the mark of the beast goes to the lake of fire. So I believe that there's a good possibility that this angel flying around is warning to fear God, to worship God. So whether or not they do or they don't, I'm going to let God worry about all of that. He'll take care of all these details. I'll bet you God will not let one of his children go to hell. Any way you cut it. So there might be a possibility that no believer will receive the mark of the beast. I don't know. I'd like to believe that. But I just know this. It's going to be one wicked time upon the face of this earth. It's going to be a scary time to live. It's where you will not be able to trust anybody. See, in the book of Luke, it also makes a statement that brother will turn on brother. Children will turn on their parents. Everybody will squeal on everybody. You won't know who to trust. That's going to be a bad time to live. Uh, Peter don't know whether or not to trust this one over here. And we're not even in the tribulation yet. But it's going to be a bad time. Now, I've had, in talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, which are not witnesses for Jehovah. 
if you get it right down to it, I am a real Jehovah Witness. But I'd rather not say that that way. I could be misunderstood. But look what he says concerning when a man dies. And look what he says there in verse 10. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. In verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for how long? Forever and ever. I read that to him. He says, yeah, it says the smoke, not the person. The smoke ascends itself. That doesn't mean the person is going to be hurt. I said, let's just read the rest of it. And they, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. They have no rest day nor night. So then I took them over to Revelation chapter 19 and showed them what happened to the beast and the false prophet, how they were cast into the lake of fire. And then a thousand years later, at the end of the millennium, it says that the devil was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. Still there. So, uh, enough to kind of scare a person a little bit. But don't forget, as you look down through the telescope of time, you can see out into the kingdom. And I saw a lamb on Mount Zion. And I saw 144,000. And I saw all these sheep, according to Matthew 25, as they entered into the joy of the Lord. It's going to be a great time. Did you realize that there are many things that happens in the course of human history that have been on the, I guess you say, unusual side? We go along and year after year, year after year, and it seems like nothing exciting is happening. Well, how would you like to have been in the very beginning and actually have been in the garden and you saw what took place? That would have been interesting. Just look at your wife and realize she ain't got no, I don't have no mother-in-law. Oh, happy day. That and anyway, and, and in other words, you know she she was created special just for you. That was a miracle, a miracle. You stop and think. Here you are, and you go all the way down here, and uh, you have before the flood, and lo and behold, there's a man that's uh, been a preaching. Because in the book of Jude it talks about him being a preacher, and his name is Enoch. And he had a testimony that he pleased God. And the Bible says he was and he was not. I mean, all of a sudden, here's a guy and then he's gone. What would that do to you if you saw that? I mean, here we all sitting here and all of a sudden, Peter Amato just disappears out of the room. Oh, happy day. <laughs> That, that happened. Do you know, if you're trying to convince somebody to believe the Bible, you know, you'd want to be careful that you didn't put stuff like that in the Bible. Who's going to believe that? Who's going to believe that? Who in the world in their right mind is going to believe the story of Jonah and the whale? Who would believe the flood? I mean, did this guy 
builds a boat and gets two animals of all kinds and gets them on that boat. And then God floods the whole earth. Who's going to believe this stuff? But if it's truth, it's truth. And God put it in the word. And if you choose not to believe it, tough. It don't change the book. You know, I saw a good statement the other day. God said that he doesn't believe in atheists. Therefore, atheists do not exist. Because you hear atheists say, you know, I don't believe in God. Therefore, God doesn't exist. Duh. How would you have liked to have been with Elijah? And here's Elisha saying, I want a double portion. And he says, when you see me, go up. If you see it happen, you got your wish. And he walks along. He says, now you stay here and I'm going to go to the next city. He says, no, I'm not. I'm going with you. He went to the next city. He says, now you stay here. No, I'm not. I'm going with you. Elisha was going to make sure of one thing. I'm going to see this happen. And he saw it happen. And all of a sudden, he's taken up in a whirlwind, in a chariot, and disappears. Now, would you believe that? You know, everything's just rocking along. Nothing interesting, exciting. Nothing ha happening. Just one old, dull, boring life. And all of a sudden, something wonderful is going to take place. You know, one of the greatest miracles was when, you know, Moses was used by God and come to the, and the waters parted. Walk across on dry ground. You believe that story? God put it in his word. You talk about some of the things that have happened. And the resurrection. Christ coming back from the dead. What a miracle. And yet it happened. People were there. And they saw him before and they saw him afterwards. And they literally were able to stand there and watch a man without a spacesuit rise up off the earth and go up through the clouds and then disappear. To see it actually happen. Now, if this Bible was just written by men and you just wanted this, you wouldn't even put that in there. That would cause people not to believe this thing. But see, God is a God of miracles. Like we say, the next great thing to happen is called the rapture. And just what is that? And one of these days, it's going to take place. One of these days, we're just going to be doing our normal thing. We're going to get up and we're going to get something to eat. and We're going to get ready to go to work. And all of a sudden, we're taken out of here. It's going to happen. One of these days, it's not going to be as usual. It's going to be an unusual day. We're going to see that there's a supernatural God that's going to do a supernatural thing. And we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and caught up to meet the Lord. And everything God says is going to happen is going to happen just like He said. All that you and I have to worry about is just be faithful until that day. But we do it. We're looking for that moment any day now, any day now, and it'll take place. But if you're here tonight and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, 
There's not a soul that can make you trust the Lord. Nobody. That's a choice that you have to make on your own. Nobody can make you believe it. But look right here. Letting this hand represent you and me. This wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. That means we are all sinners. Everybody does things wrong. And God says the pay for what we do is death and hell. So we're all condemned. And we can't save ourselves. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We've all sinned and come short of God's perfection. And God says you cannot improve your situation. You can't live good enough for God to save you. God can't even save a good man. Why? Because there aren't any. He can only save sinners. This then represents Jesus Christ, the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into this world because He loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. But He came into the world because He loves us. He loves you. He took your sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And He said that if you would believe He did it for you, He would put this payment He made to your account. And if He paid for all of your sin, there's none for you to pay for. But this payment's not put to your account until you believe He did it for you. And there's a God in heaven that knows whether you believe Him or not. But if you believe it, it's a done deal. That payment's put to your account, and God gives you as a free gift everlasting life, and He'll never cash you out and never lose you. All this that we've talked about is going to happen. One day there's a peace treaty going to be made with Israel. One day there's a man going to come on the scene and can completely, I guess you could call it, just sweep the world and convince them that he is the answer to their problems. And they're going to just sweep him into power and it's going to be a, a utopia, they think. In the first three and a half years, a time of so-called peace. But it's everybody losing their rights. And then the hammer falls. And the worst period of time the world's ever known. And it's right ahead of us. There's people in this country right now that would love to take away all of our freedoms. They want to do that now. And if they could get away with it, they would do so. Let's pray, shall we? If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you right now, just the best you know how, just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I don't understand it all. But I believe Jesus Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. And right now, I will trust Him. And Him alone is my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, God said if you trust Him, He would save you and give you eternal life. Would you do that? I pray that what I've said made sense to you. I want you to know that God loves you. He paid for your sins. He said if you would believe He did it for you, that He would give you eternal life as a gift. And He'd never cast you out and never lose you. And you can know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your word that you've given us. And we pray, Lord, that we would try to tell as many as we can, in whatever way we can, for as long as we can. And Father, help us to, to preach as a, a dying man to dying people. Bless each one here. Bless the ministries that we have here and all the workers, those that support them. And we ask your blessings in Christ's name. Amen.